you're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 340 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Peter Solnita is a software consultant with over 15 years of experience, currently working as a senior Ruby backend engineer at Castle.io. He is interested in web application development, data processing, alternative database systems, open source, API integrations, in-house infrastructure development, team leading, and mentorship. It is so great to have you on the show, Peter. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I am as well, and I can tell you that my team that I currently work with uh, is probably pretty eager to hear this episode. So, Peter, what is your developer origin story? Uh, yeah, I guess it's it's kind of a common story. Um, I always liked computers in general, so when I was a like a little boy, I got my first PC, um, and I started like tinkering with the system and like trying to write some scripts and just messing with everything. Uh, and then I had like a long phase of just playing video games. Um, and yeah, when I was in high school, I had to like decide what I'm going to do next. Uh, so I figured, yeah, let's, uh, let's study computer science because I like computers, you know? Um, so I did that. Um, I studied computer science. So during my first year, um, I actually thought that I'm going to, become like a system administrator because I, I actually thought that I'm just too stupid to write code. Um, and I started like learning Linux and everything related to system administration. Um, so I also started like writing some scripts. Um, and then during studies, uh, we started to learn, um, various programming languages, um, like C++, uh, C, Java, PHP. Uh, some Python, I think. Um, and then I realized that I'm not too stupid. I can actually write code and this is fun. So I started like learning, uh, how to code, uh, like on my own as well. And then I started like a summer internship, um, in a small company here in Krakow. And then they hired me uh, after the summer. I got a full-time job there, so this was my first full-time job as a software uh, developer. Back then, I was writing a lot of PHP, um, and I lasted for like a year and a half. And then I realized that I just uh, I just need to s- just change technology and, and move to a different language. So I I wanted to use Python because um, I had some um, a little bit of experience with Python. Um, and by a complete like accident, I found a job offer from a local consultancy. They were looking for a Ruby developer. Um, I didn't know Ruby. Um, I mean, just like in ca- case of Python, Python, I had some like very, very basic knowledge, like hello world type of knowledge. Um, and my old, my friend, I remember that he mentioned during like a random chat that Ruby on Rails is cool, and I should check it out. So I checked out Ruby on Rails. I watched uh, the uh, famous um, DHH uh, screencast showing how to write uh, a blog in 15 minutes. 
And I thought that is great, and I want to do it. So I changed my mind. I started to learn uh, Ruby, and I I actually got the job at the local consultancy as a Ruby developer, and that was in 2007. Um, so yeah, the rest is history, I suppose. What an incredibly humbling story. I think it's just a reminder to the listeners that we can all feel imposter syndrome. You are an incredible programmer, um, as you probably know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, the fact that you thought at one point that you weren't going to be good enough to be a programmer just reminds everyone that you should just keep at it, that we're all capable of doing this. And we were just having a discussion about how different um, development versus IT is. So it's great when you have skills in both, but they're definitely two different things for sure. So you mentioned that you did get into Ruby. So I'm curious, when did you get into both Ruby and Ruby on Rails? Do you happen to remember the version of Ruby on Rails when you got involved? Yeah, so um, I do remember I started with uh, 1.2. That was late 2006. I think it it was just released when I started learning. Um, And yeah, um, it was Ruby 1.8.5 still, and Rails 1.2. Um, so yeah, very uh, early days. Yeah, we're going to have to get you the early days patch, I think. So speaking of Ruby on Rails, your blog post, My Time with Rails is Up, which is a great read, listeners, and definitely check for it in the show notes. It's basically a really um, concise read about why you left Ruby on Rails. Do you mind summarizing that post for the listeners? Yeah, uh, sure. So it was like the most expensive article I've ever written (laughs) in terms of uh, the the time I had to spend on on like replying to comments and feedback um and i guess a summary would be quite simple um i spent quite some time trying to like change rails so that it fits my needs so that it works better for me until i realized that it makes just no sense and i should just embrace it um and like learn how to use it effectively in a way it's meant to be used rather than to let fight against uh, its its built-in features uh, and its conventions. Um, so I realized that it's just no, no longer a framework that um, meets my needs and I need something else. Um, and there's also like a, I guess, a different perspective. Um, that I had back then, uh, not as a Rails user, but as a as a developer who works on libraries that are supposed to work with Rails. So back then it was four years ago. Uh, so a lot a lot changed uh, since then. But back then uh, I worked a lot on many many libraries, um, many Ruby libraries, and it was like really overwhelming. So every time I had to um, work on something that was needed just because of Rails and the way it works, it just felt like too much. And and I was like, okay, um, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I don't want to support this framework because it's got very um, specific um, 
constraints, very specific requirements. And in order to make my libraries work with it, I need to spend even more time. And I really didn't have that time. So I was like, I give up. Uh, I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, so I guess like, um, these are like two parts of, of, of this story. Um, so as a user, I just decided that, okay, uh, I need something else. I don't want to fight the framework all the time. I want to find something else or build something else. Um, so yeah, back then, um, I bet on uh, Hanami framework uh, and it's, it's still my choice. Um, but yeah, a lot changed, a lot improved since then. I'm glad to hear that. And I agree, there has been a lot of changes, but I've also seen the community around Ruby have opinions that have grown into really wonderful frameworks that are out there. And so in that same vein, it, it really did seem like you were ready to leave Ruby at that point, but you didn't. So why did you not switch permanently to something like Elixir? Yeah, so uh, there are a couple of reasons. So first of all, and like I mentioned, a lot changed since then and a lot improved. Um, and specifically, like in, in 2016, when I wrote this, um, this blog post, um, things started to like speed up in terms of um, like the progress um, when it comes to DryRB and RomeRB libraries. Um, we got like more contributors, um, core teams kind of uh, grew as well. Um, so things started to look just much more uh, um, positive um, and was also simpler and simpler to uh, to work on, on open source from like my personal point of view. Um, and, you know, since things started to like really work um, and, and like really grow very fast, um, it felt like you know, it's it's still a good place for me, uh, and since uh, I'm 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 really you know interested in um, like improving um, the way I build software, uh, and I really like to experiment a lot, and Ruby allows me to experiment a lot very fast. Um, it it just it was still um, a good idea to continue working on on uh, Ruby libraries and, and and just keep using Ruby. Um, but also the fact that I just kept using Ruby at work was a big factor. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, I did use different languages uh, at work, but I use mostly Ruby. So, uh, it kind of kept me as part of the community. Well, we're very grateful that you're still in the community. So let's dig into that part two, which is the open source work that you've done. So what is the origin story of DryRB? The organization was established in 2015, um, and uh, the uh, the first two jams um, were written by Andy Holland, and we like back then we like chat a lot on a daily basis, uh, and I remember that I think I mentioned that it would be great to like have a like a one project that like groups a bunch of libraries together um so that it's like consistent uh, in terms of, like in terms of like naming and philosophy and the way things are written um and andy really liked the idea uh, so we decided to like create this organization on github and just start adding libraries there uh so he i if i remember correctly he already wrote 
um, two libraries, um, configurable and uh, container. And we just decided to call the, the organization TryRB. Uh, I think it was Andy's idea, uh, like the name, uh, and I liked it. So we went with that. Um, and the, like the general idea was to create a bunch of libraries that are like standalone, um, like non-intrusive, uh, easy to use, easy to add to an existing code base, but also it should be easy to like combine them together into like a more sophisticated uh, um, technology stack. Um, so yeah, that's how it was born. Um, I started contributing also in 2015 and then things just kind of exploded. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails applications. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before my end users can ever see them. With weekly digests and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building a great product by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today by going to scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails and you'll have the performance insights you need in less than four minutes. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring the show. That's so great. So Peter, I normally don't do this, but I do have a couple listener questions for you if you're open to them. Oh, sure. So um, this is for you, Paul. Uh, he would like to know about Hanami and Dry in general, how they fit together, and what the roadmap for Hanami 2.0 looks like. Um, yeah, so we are still working on like the official uh, roadmap, um, but when it comes to DryRB and Hanami, um, we actually started uh, using some of the DryRB gems as the foundation for Hanami 2.0. Um, so, for instance, um, we already have uh, a very nice integration with Dry System, um, which just works out of the box uh, when you use Hanami 2. Um, there are other gems that are used there as well, like Dry Types or Dry Configurable, um, and I guess some others that I don't longer remember. But uh, like the general idea is to like leverage what we already created uh, in DryRB um, and, and just make it a foundation for Hanami 2. Uh, when it comes to the roadmap, roadmap, like I mentioned, we are like still working on it. Um, there is a Trello board, which is a, like a public board um, that everybody can see. So uh, we can link to it, I suppose. Um, but like, it's hard to predict how long it's going to take. But uh, personally, I still hope that we will be able to ship a better version before the end of the year. Uh, but again, that's just my wishful thinking. <laughs> but who knows, maybe we'll do it. Peter, can you explain what dry transaction is and its possible future? Sure. So uh, dry transaction is a gem that allows you to uh, define um, a set of um, steps that must be executed as part of a single business transaction. 
um, and you can uh, have like a really nice error handling that is built in and you have um, additional features like you can um, publish some events related to a given step uh, you can have subscribers that uh, do something um, based on these events and yeah that's uh, that's pretty much it um, it's uh, not really stable gem yet um, but we're gonna probably release 1.0 soon gotcha so where does the so can you walk me through the process as you are working on dryrb when do you decide that you're going to create a new gem is it when you know users report in needing certain functionality are you very cognizant of making sure that one gem doesn't do too much we created some gems as a result of, of like just discussing that we need something and that was it. Uh, some gems um, have been like extracted from existing gems, like dry struct was extracted from uh, dry types uh, or dry schema was uh, in a way extracted from dry validation. Um, but I guess typically I think typically we extract things from existing code bases. Um, I remember that uh, in case of dry auto inject, I, I build it because I noticed that there's just a lot of boilerplate in my code base and I could just very easily uh, get rid of the uh, entire boiler boilerplate by, by just implementing uh, a simple uh, a simple module builder that would define uh, constructors for me. So um, that was just based on my uh, actual experience when working on a on a on an application way, I suppose. That makes sense. So let's dig into more origin stories. What's the origin story behind ROM RB? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, so. Um, there was a project called Data Mapper. It was uh, one of the Ruby ORMs. Um, I was part of the core team. Uh, it was like in, in, in between 2010 and 2012. So uh, we decided uh, to build um, Data Mapper 2.0, which was supposed to uh, implement uh, the Data Mapper pattern uh, like completely because Data Mapper uh, originally was kind of a mixture um, that uh, combined both active record and, and some aspects of data mapper patterns. Um, but in version 2.0, we wanted to have like a real data mapper implementation. Um, but then we realized that um, the project is going to change like pretty drastically. Um, I mean, it would be like a just a new project because we decided to like build it from scratch. So I remember that FD Grimm told us that we should just start a new project instead. So we came up with a new name, a Ruby Object Mapper. That's how it was born. Um, like initially, we continued working on the, the, on the uh, implementation of the data mapper pattern. But eventually, uh, I changed my mind and decided to like change its direction and uh, built something that is much, much simpler than uh, a data mapper. And that's how it looks like today. It's just a 
simpler way of working with the data. That's awesome. So, you know, we mentioned this in the bio at the top of the show, but you shared some exciting news last week, and that's a new job. So how was the interviewing process? Yeah, so um, it's a kind of a funny story, actually, because um, in a way we knew each other uh, already. Uh, Castle uh, has an office in, in Krakow, and they also use uh, some of my libraries. So last year they were like, uh, you can work from our office if you want. Like, that's a way of saying thank you. Um, so I was like, sure, that's awesome. Um, and I started working from their office, uh, not as an employee, just they just gave me a desk. Uh, so I met uh, a lot of people for, from the company. And uh, earlier this year, this was in, in July, um, they actually asked me if I would like to join them. Um, so we started the process. Um, the, uh, the interview process was really awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, I had a bunch of calls with uh, various people from the team, um, including people from the um, leadership positions. Um, and I had to build um, like a small um, test application um, so that I could see you know, like the type of pro problems that um, Castle tries to solve. So I built the app, uh, we um, then discussed it and they liked what I wrote, and I, I enjoyed the experience, so everything just worked. And yeah, uh, they decided to hire me, and I said yes, so that was it. Well, congratulations. What a smart way to get to know you by offering you a desk. And I really appreciate it anytime I hear a company want to give back to the open source community. So I'm curious, how do you balance it all? You were involved in so many different open source projects and then you're working on top of it. So do you find some crossover? You did mention that sometimes you get to extract some code from what you're working on at work. So how does that work? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always you know challenging, um, but uh, I think um, I I kind of I found a way to like manage it. Uh, like previously, people would ask me this question on a regular basis, and my answer would be typically, I have no idea. Like I just somehow do it. Uh, but yeah, I like last year I decided to actually like really organize it. Um, so. Um, I mean, first of all, I work way less than I used to. Um, at some point, it, it, it was like a second job, honestly. Uh, I remember days when I would work for like 12, 13, 14 hours per day. So that was crazy. Uh, I no longer do that. Uh, but, you know, I, I do work on open source um, every day. Um, and I basically keep like my own backlog um, and try to address um, all the like issues and pull requests from 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 the users uh, every day um, so this way I can you know um, stay up to date with what's going on and and people are no longer like waiting for weeks uh, for an answer or or uh, for a pull request review, uh, and I also like release uh, new versions of jams um, on a regular basis as well. Um, but when it comes to like um, writing actual code and implementing new features, 
Uh, this is much harder because, um, like I mentioned, I, I, I no longer work uh, as much as I used to. So um, I just try to find um, some, some, you know, blocks of time that I, I know that I will be able to focus on something. And whenever that happens, I just pick up whatever I have on my, you know, on my list, uh, which is the current priority. And I just work on that. Uh, but that's, that's something I cannot really like schedule. It's, it's very unpredictable, uh, and ad hoc sometimes. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how it, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. Balance is everything. So I typically ask all of my guests what their thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Rails communities are, but I think I'm going to bend it a little bit different for you, Peter, because you've done so much work and I think you've kept some people in the Ruby community who left us for other functional communities. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on what can we do to educate the listeners out there that there are other things other than Ruby on Rails that Ruby doesn't automatically mean Rails. Yeah, this is uh, this is really uh, hard to be honest. Uh, I think I think Ruby community and and, and in general R- Ruby uh, language has this like unique situation because many people when they say Ruby they actually think Rails, um, and I, I think it's it's really unique. I, I don't think it exists in any other community. Honestly, uh, there are other languages. Uh, with web frameworks, um, and like, you know, PHP or, or Python, they have a bunch of different frameworks, right? Um, but in our case, it's, it's like practically speaking only Rails. Um, but when it comes to like discovering what's out there, um, you know, there are other options, obviously. Um, but, if you want to like really understand what's happening, you just need to get involved because other solutions are just not as mature as Rails. So I noticed that people quite often approach some alternative, some you know like a less popular jam with certain expectations that like the docs will be amazing and it, it will be easy to find solutions to various problems. And when they don't see it, they like give up very quickly without actually evaluating a given solution. So um, I think like having this understanding that there are many other things except Rails, it's just that they are still evolving and they need help uh, from other people uh, is just really important because with this mindset, you will be able to like more easily appreciate alternatives and like you won't be judging them like through your Rails experience. I agree. Uh, This is ironically coming from the host of the Ruby on Rails podcast, but don't just necessarily reach for Rails because it's the thing that you're familiar with. You know, the next time you do have a project, consider trying Hanami or Sinatra or trying the DryRB libraries just to make sure that you're getting more experience. I know for me, I've been at Textos for about two months and, you know, getting onboarded to the whole dry concepts was hard at first, but I get it and I see why it's so performant. So I want to thank you for all of your hard work that you put into the open source community, Peter. Awesome. Thank you. It's really nice to know that. How can listeners follow you? Uh, well, I use Twitter. Um, I think that's the easiest way. Um, I, I use Twitter almost exclusively for like programming related uh, communication. Um, and also 
people can follow me on GitHub if they are like really interested in what I'm what I'm doing exactly um, and in which repositories. Um, and I guess people could also just subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is a brand new thing that I started recently. Um, and I have plans to like record screencasts about um, things that I'm working on or things that other people are working on that I find interesting. So that would be, um, I think, a good way to also like see uh, what I'm up to. That sounds great. And I will link all of that in the show notes. I wanted to give you another personal thank you. When I mentioned on Twitter that I would be working in drive for the first time, you immediately tweeted and offered your help. And that just blew me away with how personal it was. And I really appreciate it. So thank you for being a wonderful community member. And it was great to talk to you. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that as well. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review, and thank you for listening.